0: You are listening to the healthy weight coaching podcast inspiring stories and tips to help you reach your goal for information on reaching your healthy weight or to share your success story please reach us at healthyweightcoaching.com
1: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Weight Coaching Podcast, a show designed to empower folks like you and me to live a healthy lifestyle and achieve our weight and health goals. I'm Julie Taub, registered dietitian, nutritionist and your host, and today I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Glenn Livingston, psychologist and author of Never Binge Again a book written based on his personal struggles with obesity and weight loss. And ultimately, he has figured out a way to maintain a healthy weight. And that is always the big question mark once we lose weight. So I'm very excited to delve into the success story of Dr. Glenn Livingston. Thank you, Dr. Livingston, for being on the show.
0: Oh, please call me Glenn. And it's a delight to be here.
1: Well, thank you, Glenn. I appreciate it. So what I would love to start with is your personal story. So when did weight become a focus of your life, and did you realize that you needed to change your weight and the food choices you were making?
0: Well, you know, as an adolescent, I'm 6'4 and reasonably muscular, and I had what you would call exercise bulimia these days which meant that if I worked out for two and a half or three hours a day, I could eat whatever I wanted to. Six or 7,000 calories a day was no problem. Whole pizzas, chocolate bars, muffins, you know, bags and bags and boxes from the supermarket. Anything that I wanted to. And then I I really didn't think it was a problem. I thought it was a superpower. But as I got older and- What age was
1: that, if you don't mind me interrupting?
0: Oh, so I'm talking about from like, 16 to 22 years old,
1: and were your uh, friends doing this as well, or was were you kind of doing this alone?
0: Oh yeah. Oh, I, was, I mean, I, I worked out with a bunch of muscleheads in the gym, and you know, we we would go out to lunch or dinner afterwards. We would just buy a whole bunch of bags and boxes and have a party, and we thought it was great. We were, yeah. we were all doing that. Yeah. Okay. And you know, there was no shortage of industrial foods that are concentrated sources of sugar and salt and fat and starch and protein and excitotoxins and all packaged up with billions of dollars of advertising. And there was no shortage of societal forces to help us keep doing that. Mm -hmm. So, but, but Julie, when I got to be, uh, I was married at 22 years old and I was in graduate school and I was starting to see patients. And then by the time I was 25, I was a doctor and (laughs) I worked with suicidal people, I work with couples after an affair, very, very serious situations. And I felt like I couldn't be present because I, I I, couldn't exercise two or three hours a day. And because I couldn't exercise two or three hours a day, I started gaining weight because I felt like I couldn't stop eating the way that I was eating. I just couldn't accept that I was going to have to change my food choices. And um I got fatter and fatter. I, I I was, you know, 257 pounds and my triglycerides were well above eight hundred. I think they're above a thousand, but I've got a test that shows them above eight hundred. And it was very disturbing to me because I'm a psychologist first and foremost. I come from a family of 17 psychologists and psychotherapists and counselors and 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 I felt like I just wasn't in integrity. I wasn't Really present while I was sitting with these patients, I was thinking about when the next time I could go to the deli and um, you know buy the whole deli case and just just eat it up. And and I was always obsessing about food because suddenly, without this superpower, I was always thinking, well, how am I going to make up for this? And how am I going to stop gaining weight? And exactly how much am I going to eat? And how am I going to how am I going to stop eating it? And you know, how long is it going to be before I can do something like that again? And it just was a constant mental torture. So I was aware by the time I was between 26 and 30, as I, those are my real weight gain years, that I was going down the wrong path and needed to do something about it. Unfortunately, because I was a psychologist and came from the family that I did when I had a hammer, everything looked like a nail. And I really thought that if I could figure out what was eating me, that it would solve everything. So rather than taking a very practical approach to changing what I was eating and, you know, making some very concrete rules and lines to, to follow, I went to see psychologists and psychiatrists, and I went to it is Anonymous, and I, I even funded this 40,000-person study. I'm, I'm also a consultant for, you know, high-end Food companies, and and or or was at the time, so I knew how to do that. And I funded this large study to figure out the relationship between overeating and personality. And I was really trying to figure out what the problem was. And we can talk more about what that study found and how it didn't really work. Um, mm-hmm. But but ultimately, I was led to a much more practical solution where I separated my healthy from unhealthy thinking thoughts. I I realized that it wasn't so much about figuring out who lit the match that started this raging fire. I didn't really need to be a detective. I needed to be a fireman and put out the fire. And that involved drawing really clear lines in the sand, lines that most people wouldn't draw like, oh, I will never eat chocolate on a weekday again, or "I, I will never have flour again, or something like that. And most people were terrified of those types of statements. We can talk more about why and why I don't think they need to be. But I decided that, you know, my my lizard brain, which is the seat of food addiction, is I was going to call that my pig. And that when it was when it was asking for chocolate, the chocolate would be pig slop. And this is a little embarrassing as a sophisticated psychologist and businessman, but this is what worked. (laughs) And and that whatever the pig said, you know, if it said, hey, Glenn, you know, chocolate comes from cocoa beans and cocoa beans grow on a plant and therefore chocolate is a vegetable, that was pig squeal. And I would listen for the pig squealing. And when it squealed, I would say, well, I don't eat pig slop. I don't listen to farm animals telling me what to do. And as crazy as it sounds, there's a lot more behind the story, but as crazy as it sounds, it was that really primitive approach that mm-hmm. bought me those extra microseconds at the moment of impulse to make the right decision. And that's that's how I got thin and stayed thin. It's, I had to experiment did you, with the-
1: Did you use a food journal during that time or a, just a journal of thoughts while you were making this change?
0: Both. Both, yes. It was over the course of a number of years mm-hmm. and I I did. The journal of thoughts had very much to do with what the pig was saying and all the creative reasons it had for me to overeat. Like, you know, life is not really worthwhile without chocolate. You're going to be really depressed. What are you going to do at a party? What if someone hands you some chocolate? What if there's a chocolate birthday cake that your mom makes you? How are you going to handle all these things? And so I did a lot of rational disputation and a lot of um kind of really thinking about those situations. And I did keep a journal, which eventually became the book. But I also would write down what I was eating, not all the time, but for periods of months at a time so that I could Go back and tally nutrition and figure out what choices needed to change, and you know, ultimately it became very simple for me. But um, yeah, that, that's what I did. Yes, I did.
1: And so, at this stage of you know your career, not to jump ahead, but I am just curious because it was a part of. Do you think the journaling was a, a key part of you succeeding?
0: I do. I do not so much because. I discovered the reasons why I overeat in the first place, but because I discovered the nuances of that crazy voice inside of us that convinces us to overeat. And if I could highlight the difference in the study that I did, I'd found that people who struggled with chocolate, overeating chocolate tended to have a lot of loneliness and heartbreak in their life. And I was in a bad marriage you know, so that was definitely true. And I went and I asked my mom, who's also a therapist, if there was anything that resonated from my history. And she said, well, you know, Glenn, when you were a three-year-old or a two-year-old, you're, we were in the Army. Your dad was a captain at the Walter Reed Army Hospital, and we were frightened he was going to be taken to Vietnam. I'm revealing my age. <laughs> and yeah, and her dad, my grandfather, had been missing for about nine months, and my mom was really depressed and overwhelmed and didn't have the wherewithal to you know, prepare the right food for me or give me a hug or pay attention to me sometimes when I was really feeling down or came to her crying. And so she kept a bottle of chocolate syrup on the floor in the refrigerator, and she would say, go get your Bosco. It was called Bosco back then. And she said, I'm really sorry, but I just didn't have it in me, and and. And I totally forgive her. Um, I understand why she was so overwhelmed. And having that conversation and doing that soul searching, it healed me in a lot of ways in as much as my relationship with my mom is better. I'm more compassionate towards myself about the problems that I did go through. So it stopped a lot of that self-castigation and self-criticism. But it didn't cure the overeating because – there was this voice inside me that said, you know what, Glenn, you're, you're right. Your your mama didn't love you enough when you were little, and it left a great big hole inside of you. And until you can figure out how to find the love of your life and cure that hole, you're just going to have to keep on binging on chocolate. And when I work with clients about those things, you know, I found, for example, that people that binged on salty, crunchy snacks tended to be um, – more stressed at work and people that binged on bread and bagels and pasta tended to be more stressed at home. But they also had these crazy voices inside of them. And it was learning how to arrest that crazy voice that put out the fire. It was not searching for the match that, that lit the fire, that really put out the fire. So we have to be firemen and not detectives, firewomen and not detectives. And that's what really helped.
1: So at this point, how many years have you maintained your weight loss?
0: Well, I, I did it in stages. I went from two, hovering around 260 to hovering around 220 fairly quickly over the course of about a year. I, I say that's fairly quickly. Some people try to lose weight really quickly, and I find it's not sustainable. But I, I, I maintained that 40 pound weight loss for a long time. And then I needed some education about what to actually eat. And I, my book is diet agnostic, so I help people low-carb or high-carb or vegan or paleo, it doesn't really matter. But for me personally, the education about the whole foods plant-based diet was critical. And I was in contact with some of the top people in the field, and I read and read and read, and that was just a couple of years ago when I came down from 220 to 200, which is really where I should be. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but but it it's um, – it is a story of loss and maintenance. It is a successful program, and my, my um, you know, my clients do similar things. So, but it's it's not a well. Gee, I lost hundred pounds in three months and I kept it off forever. Uh-huh. It's, yeah.
1: So let's do talk about your book. So, what gave you the idea to publish your journal, and how do you translate that to help the people that are listening to the show and your clients? What is the tool, and what is within that book that you think is the answer?
0: Okay. So, what gave me the idea for the book was I, I was a partner in a I was a minor partner in a publishing company, and I I I'd always wanted to help people with weight loss. I'd actually published a book before on it, which flopped, which was all about emotional eating. And I hadn't I, I kind of had the idea that now that I had something that was really working, that I might republish it, but it wasn't first and foremost on my mind. It was a project I was going to do in five years or so. And my partner Yoav, said, "Then we really need to publish a book and show people we know what we're doing. And I said, There's no way this is going to sell. You want me to, as a sophisticated psychologist and business person, to get on the radio and talk about this pig inside me and I don't eat I don't need pig slap and I don't need let farm animals tell me what to do. And he said, Yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. And so in August of 2015, I spent um, a couple of months editing it in, going through the, you know. Branding and publication process, and I've got a background in marketing, and it just took off. You know, we got a couple of top 1,000 reviewers on Amazon to review it, and um, they started sending us a little traffic. And before we know it, we had more traffic. And then I got requests for interviews, and it it, it just took off. And I was really surprised. Um, what what's actually in the book is the nuances of. I wrote it in a very conversational, entertaining way because it was originally a journal. I hadn't really written it professionally, academically. And what what's in there are all the nuances of the pig's voice. And by the way, you don't have to call it a pig. You can call it your inner slacker or a lot of women don't want to call it a pig. And most of my clients are women, coincidentally, which is a surprise to me, too. So they're the nuances of how the pig tries to convince you to keep binging. So for, for example, most people don't know that that negative voice that you hear after you make a mistake, you know, oh, you're pathetic, you're, you're always going to be heavy, nothing has worked, you've tried all these diets and you keep falling off. Most people don't realize that that voice is binge motivated, that the pig is actually trying to wear you down so that you feel too weak to resist binging in the future, and that it's very difficult to keep binging if you refuse to yell at yourself. You have to think of it kind of like accidentally touching a hot stove. You're you're supposed to feel a little pain right away to to get your attention. You're supposed to feel a little bit of shame or a little bit of guilt because you you broke your word to yourself. But you're not supposed to perseverate on it. You're not supposed to say, oh, my God, I'm a compulsive hot stove toucher, and I might as well just put my whole hand on it, and I'm always going to touch hot stoves. And No, you're supposed to get your attention, pay attention to what caused the pain, figure out where the bullseye is that you want to shoot for now, um, how are you going to avoid it in the future, and then let go of that voice and keep going. And so there, there are things like that about the very specific ways that I overcame that and my clients overcame it. And there's also some instructions for constructing your own personal food plan. I think one of the pig's maneuvers, I call it the confuse and conquer maneuver, or the grass is always greener maneuver, is to say, well, the diet that we're on is no good. We should really be following this other guru's diet, or, you know, gee, we're doing high carb, we should be doing low carb, or we should be doing, you know, paleo, we should be doing, you know, vegan. And and it keeps you in a constant state of confusion about where the bullseye is. And if you don't know where the bullseye is, the odds are that the pig is going to win because the hyperpalatable industrial foods that are out there are much more attractive than following any particular diet of your own. So, so what I help people to do is really take ownership of what they want to do. And, and as a practical basis, basis for my listeners in these kind of shows, I say, listen, you've been reading about nutrition for a long time. You've probably been listening to this show for a while. You know at least one thing that you could do for sure that would make a big difference in your health. What What is that one thing? Can you make one rule? Can you draw one line in the sand that – if you never crossed it, that would make a dramatic difference. So, you know, I, I never eat pretzels outside of a major league baseball game, or I always drink two glasses of water in the morning, or I always put my fork down between bites, or I always meditate for five minutes before a meal. Whatever it is, I, I never eat standing up. Wh- wherever your single worst trigger food or um, or troubled eating behavior is, make a rule. Make sure that if ten people followed you around all day, and observed whether or not you complied with that rule, that they would all agree. So so eliminate any ambiguity from the rule. Make sure that these people would all agree whether you complied or not. So, so for example, eating when I'm hungry and stopping when I'm full, that's a really good guideline, but it's not a rule. Um, okay. It's a good thing to treat, right? So, so do that, and then listen for your inner pig to squeal and try to convince you not to. Declare yourself 100% confident that you're going to follow the rule as a matter of semantics, which separates you from the negative thoughts of the pig. And listen for the squeals and then just ignore them. If you have time and you can think of a rational, you know, disputation for the pig squeals, that's fine. But you know by definition, the way that you have separated your thoughts in your mind, you know by definition that any squeal that suggests you break the rule is going, it's up to no good. It's going in the wrong direction. And so you can just ignore it. You don't have to argue with it. That's that's the piercing insight that makes a dramatic difference. And it's very simple. I I wish it was more complex or profound. Um, I think I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily the inventor of it. I think I might be the best narrator of it in the food space. But that's, that's what works. That's what I help people to do. And then the rest is all the, art of, you know, finessing your rules so that it really works for you and, um, very carefully listening for the pig for a couple of months as it comes up with creative new ideas to get you to break the rule. And, you know, that's what I coach people through, but, but, um, that's, what's in the book. That's what. Cool.
1: That's- so since chocolate seems to be your thing, mm-hmm. what, um, do you suggest or, or what, are, what do you personally eat to kind of replace that food that you loved so much as a kid and probably resonate somewhere deep in you still the fondness for it?
0: Okay. So this is really weird and I don't expect anybody to believe me. As a matter of fact, I think everybody's going to be out there saying BS, BS, BS. Um, my answer is a green smoothie. I, I, I believe that what's happened in our society is that the food-like substances that are engineered to produce a a physiological pleasure that evolution has not prepared us for, I, I believe that they really hijack our survival drive and make every bone in our body believe that we can't survive without it. So I think that anybody out there who's listening to this and is struggling with chocolate feels like there's just no way that a green smoothie could replace that. Now, a green smoothie will not get you high in the same way that chocolate gets you high. Chocolate has, you know, theobramine and caffeine and all types of stimulants and mood enhancers, and you're you're not going to get high in the same way, but you will feed your body what it needs. You will get the energy that you were seeking from the chocolate. You will get the boost that you were looking for. And it takes the craving away. Now, you know, some people like to use carob or uh, I I use a lot of uh, raw carob and like cashews. And I I used to make, you know, I used to try to make my own chocolate and put stevia in it and stuff. But uh, honestly, it, it didn't really do the trick. What did the trick was focusing more and saying, okay, feelings aren't facts i don't have to believe that i need chocolate to survive let me just try let me just ha- try having a you know half a pound of of romaine lettuce with with some spinach and a whole bunch of ripe bananas and you know maybe a little bit of mint or something like that and not really worry so much about the calories let me let me just really try and give my body what it needs and surprisingly the craving went away so i tell people Underneath your craving for a chocolate is probably a craving for lettuce, and they they want to smack me in the face, but I really believe that.
1: I mean, I love – they'll think that I actually planted that that question, but I didn't know that was what you were going to say. So tell me what what your favorite green smoothie ingredients are. I mean, you alluded to romaine, spinach, bananas, mint. Is that your secret combination, or is there another recipe you'd like to share?
0: (laughs) Um, Bananas and – ripe bananas and mangoes with vanilla. You know, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven. Just don't don't talk don't talk to me when I'm having my banana mango banana, banana mango vanilla smoothie. It's um with some ice to make sure it's cold.
1: And are we talking vanilla extract or do you use vanilla like an almond milk or, or a non-dairy milk?
0: No, I, I actually use the beans.
1: Oh cool. Okay. So you grind the beans.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I try to stick to like whole fresh ripe raw natural foods as much as I can.
1: And what is the liquid based your green smoothie?
0: I don't really put them in. I use the mangoes and the bananas as the, as the liquid.
1: So no water or ice? I,
0: I'll put some ice in. I'll put some okay. ice in to make sure it okay. stays cold because I, I do like to blend the green, green smoothie for a little while so it breaks all the cell walls and the nutrition is released.
1: Okay. I do like to do that. All righty. Well, tell me, um, your book, there's a free link that people can, can download and get the book. What is the catch to all of that?
0: Well if if you go to never there's no catch, but if you go to and click on the big red free reader bonus section, we will we'll give you a link to the to someplace you can get the book for free in Kindle or Nook format or PDF. But more importantly, you and I Julie have been talking about this in theory. I recorded a bunch of coaching sessions so that people can listen to what it's like to implement it in practice and actually hear people struggle with their you know the reluctance to never do something again, the reluctance to make a rule, um, see how happy they get when they realize okay. that they can do it, and then follow up and see what the results are. So I recorded those, and I also created a whole set of food plan starter templates, which are appropriate for any diet. So there's one for paleo, there's one for vegan, there's one for macrobiotic, there's one for calorie counters, etc., etc., etc. I call them starter templates because I I don't want to tell you how to eat. I want you to tell you how to eat, but it's helpful if people can see the way the rules are phrased and, you know, how to go about it to go. So it's all well, at NeverBingeAgain.com. Click on the big red free bonus section and, you know, sign up for that. You'll get all that. Um, and then, you know, if you want to, there are paperbacks and Audible has a copy and everything like that that you can you can purchase. But um, I've made as much as I possibly could free so that we get the message out to the largest number of people that we can.
1: Awesome. I think it's very exciting. I think there's... You know, what I see in my practice is a lot of variety of struggles and different things resonate with different people. And everyone, I think, you know, you're discussing your history and how that really impacted what happened to you as an adult and your relationship with food is very profound because I definitely find we have to kind of look back and see what put us in a place that we are today and how that influenced us, accept it, and then move on. And I think your plan with these concrete psychological lines in the sand so to speak is a really practical approach and I and I appreciate you sharing your tips and your secrets and especially talking about green smoothies and how that can replace chocolate I think it's a fabulous suggestion for those people that that really struggle with their trigger foods that there are alternatives that are healthier that if you try it it may actually be the answer for you so that's Julie very what's your cool. what's
0: your favorite smoothie
1: so I, I love smoothies I love things blended and I also make green smoothies Green smoothies all the time, but I would say my favorite ingredients, I like protein powders because they make it sweet, and I, and I love to start my morning with a sweet, so I use a Vega protein smoothie powder. I put in spinach, kale, a little bit of almond milk, water, ice, and sometimes I'll add, especially during the, the summer when I can go to a farmer's market and get fresh turmeric and fresh ginger, I'll do like a half an inch of each of those and put that, those in the smoothie to spice it up a little bit, and that's like my dream smoothie.
0: Julie, I'm coming over.
1: <laughs> you are welcome to. I'd love to share it. With anyone who would enjoy it, I'm happy to. Most of my clients won't believe me, and then I tell them to try it, and they're, uh, they're pleasantly surprised. So thank you very much, and it's nice to know there uh, is an answer to stop overeating, stress eating, and binge eating. And if all the listeners want to visit NeverBingeAgain.com, thank you so much, Glenn Livingston, for sharing your secrets.
0: Okay. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to the Healthy Weight Coaching Podcast. To be a part of the show or follow up with questions, please visit healthyweightcoaching.com or like my Facebook page, Healthy Weight Coaching.
0: Thank you for listening to the Healthy Weight Coaching Podcast. Visit us at www.healthyweightcoaching.com. And please review this podcast on iTunes so that we can keep sharing the secrets to success that will help you. For more information on how to reach your peak or be on the show, contact Julie, the healthy weight coach at healthyweightcoaching.com.